All right, so I brought this boat with me. I want to ask you a question. It's in your uh, bulletin there too. So if there was a lifeboat and inside it was a male lawyer, a female doctor, a lazy teenager, a stay-at-home mom, and a garbage man, and one person had to be thrown overboard to save the others, which person would you choose? So talk amongst yourselves. Who are you going to pick? The lawyer, the doctor, the lazy teenager, the stay-at-home mom, or the garbage man? Go ahead. Actually talk about it with each other. Or decide in your own mind anyway. All right. How many of you threw off the teenager? All right. <laughs> All you moms in the house with the teenagers at home. You know, if these five people were actually in a real lifeboat, debating on who was going to get the boot, they would be frantically trying to prove each of them their own worth. They would be trying to uh, talk about maybe their intelligence or their gender or their skill or maybe even the needs that they have. And they would want to prove that they were worth keeping by comparing themselves to each other. Who has the most value on the boat? Because the people that have the most value on the boat will stay there. And you just determined, or people around you, who you would throw off by deciding who is the most valuable. I believe that this lifeboat metaphor, it is a little bit like this crazy world that we find ourselves in. Not only do we constantly on some level feel like we're proving our value, we walk in this mindset where we're putting value on other people. And we're deciding who's better and who's worse and who's worth our time and who isn't. And we're talking about it. Even as I, as I say these words and as I wrote this message this week, I'm deeply convicted in my own heart. James 4 says this, Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. He who speaks against a fellow believer or judges a fellow believer speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but it's judge. But there's only one who is lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. On the other hand, who are you to judge your neighbor? So last Christmas time, um, I was in Target, and you all know how crazy Target can get at Christmas time. And I was pregnant, so I feel like that like also makes you a little crazier when you're like that. And there were probably 18 people in front of me with carts full of, you know, electronics and toys and all the things that they have. And like every registers on a price check, you know, like that day. <laughs> and you're like, Ugh. and you're waiting in line. And the line kind of turned, and I accidentally, I swear it was an accident, cut this woman in line. Okay, but I really was an accident. And she um, literally took her cart and like boxed me out with it, like, like put the cart right in front of me, it slammed into me and looked at me and like in her best Darth Vader voice I've ever heard, she's like, I'm next. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And so I'm typically pretty passive. Like I, I'm pretty like, actually I said, I'm sorry, right when I'm telling you that story, but what I actually did in that moment, I, I'm telling you, I think it was the pregnancy and the shopping and the Christmas or something, but I just looked at her and I sneered with like my upper lip and I said the meanest thing that I could think of in that moment. 
which was bah humbug. <laughs> and um, she thought that was funny. So I was like, oh, I lose. But then it was awkward because I had to wait in line for it with behind her for 10 minutes, you know, because then the line was really long still. So I was like, you know, like I think I'll text on my phone now. Um, but on the way to my car, I was thinking to myself, who cares? Like, why did I get so upset about that interaction? Like, it was bothering me. And for the next four days, all I thought about was, what else could I have said that was mean? Bah humbug was so lame. And all I could think about was, what could I, what could I have said? Like, it, 15 more minutes to my already four-hour target experience wasn't a big deal. Why was I so up in arms about that happening to me? And I got to thinking about this whole lifeboat thing and how in deep down within me, if, if somebody says that I'm not important, if somebody cuts me in line or cuts me off in traffic or, or somehow something happens that makes me less important than another person, then it, it, it feels like I'm less in the pecking order. It feels like you're losing your edge. You know, 15 more minutes didn't matter, but that lady acted as if she was more important than me, that her shopping was somehow superior and my time didn't matter. And that bothered me. And that made me frustrated and that made me judgy. Because somehow I wasn't as important as they were giving me credit to be. Judgment comes from two places, and they're both equally ugly, and they're both related to the assignment of value. We judge because we're prideful, and we judge because we're insecure. We judge because we're prideful, and we judge because we're insecure. Pride says, I have more value than another person. Insecurity says, I have less value than another person. Pride says I have more value than another person. Insecurity says I have less value than another person. And ultimately, we get judgy because we play God and we assign value to their people and to, to people and to their actions. I really think that judgment and criticism are fruit of deeper problems. Directly before the passage in James that I just read about judging is verse 10. Pastor talked about this last week. It says this: humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So right before James gives us the warning about judging, he talks about humility, the opposite of pride. Whenever we excel in any area, we know it's because God has given us the grace for it. But if we are prideful, we look down on others, we value them less, we somehow make it up to us, like we did it, like we took credit for things. And we give value to people based on our reference point of value. And by doing that, we position people in the lifeboat. Who's more valuable and who's not? Pride comes out like this. Um, I wouldn't have done it that way. That was a stupid decision. Uh, they must mismanage their money because they can't afford a vacation, and clearly I can afford a vacation. Or people who take medication just don't have enough faith God can heal them. Or women that work outside the home, they, they neglect their children. Ugly stuff. Stuff that hurts and hurts deep. Judgment also comes from our insecurity. Sometimes I think it comes from insecurities we don't even know we carry. We may not think that we have insecurities or inferiority complexes, but if you find yourself judging, look a little closer because sometimes those are hard to admit. After all, there are insecurities, right? So it's hard to uncover that and believe that about ourselves. God wired us so that he told us who we are. And outside of that relationship, that relationship that says we're loved and valuable and beautiful, we don't have any worth at all because God loving us gives us value. That's it. God loving us gives us value. 
And so if our desire to be loved and respected isn't being met because of a, a broken relationship with God, then we feel very angry and sad and broken and judgmental. And we seek some sort of redemption from our jury of peers, and this lifeboat mentality is how we survive. Have you ever thought about um, why, why is there racism? There's been a, a real hot topic on the news these past few weeks even. Why, why is there racism? Why does it happen? Like, why, how does racism even, how does that work? And I think it's this. If there are 10 people in the lifeboat and, and three of them are, are Jews, adhering to the philosophy that Jews are inferior is enticing because it makes you one up. So if Jews or Americans or Democrats or whoever are inferior, then I'm automatically ahead of the 30% of the population in the lifeboat. So racism and socioeconomic prejudice would be the very first thing to start happening in a culture absent of God. And it has in the Sudan, in the Congo, in Germany, and even here, right? James is talking about me in chapter 4. He's talking about you. He, he is saying to criticize another person concludes that you are right and the other person is wrong. And James says when you judge another, you speak against the law, meaning we sin against God's law when we criticize each other. James says that we choose to judge people without the divine authoriz- authorization to do so, and we become the role of judge. And, and I love James. He's such a pointed, practical guy. He would never say bah humbug in Target. He would have something else to say. But he, this is what he says. Stop it. Stop. Stop judging. Knock it off. There's only one judge, and it's not you. And you don't have to make yourself more or less valuable. You don't have to fight for a position. Because guess what? The world has been lying to you. You're loved. You don't have to work that out. Not because of what you can or can't do or because uh, uh, what you measure in comparison to one another, but because Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, loves you. So live like that. That's what James is saying to us. So how do we stop? How do we stop judging? Well, I was thinking we could, like, put a shot collar on our necks and then your wife could press your button every time you get critical. Like, "Eh." and then that probably wouldn't work, but Joel liked that idea. (laughs) Yeah, there's that. I really do think that it's a heart change. It's not just a, I'm going to try really, really hard not to be critical when I see that person, even though they really drive me crazy. You know what I mean? Like you're, like you're giving it your best, but I'm, I'm not going to say how her pants are too short. I'm not going to say it. I'm just not going to say it out loud. And, but, but this idea is that it's allowing Jesus Christ, the person of who he is, to reach down and examine and heal up and reign inside of us and finding our full value in God loving us because that eliminates pride and insecurity. And then guess what? There's nothing left to judge. There's nothing left to compare because that pride and that insecurity are gone. I don't know a lot about um, parenting. Um, I recently had a, a, another little girl. She's eight months old. Um, I especially don't know a lot about parenting two children. Most days I find myself sticky and barely breathing at the end of the day. Um, but we're making it. But I, I can say this about the only thing that Joel and I figured out is that every stinking day, I just want to hold those girls and tell them I love them. No matter how bad or crazy the day has been. Because if they don't feel loved, then they're going to look for it in all kinds of other ways. And if they know they're loved, I hope that as they grow up, they're better at negotiating all that other adult stuff that we have to all figured out all the time. 
And I think it's no coincidence that Jesus talks endlessly about love, free love, unconditional love. Jesus would indicate that the greatest thing that we can do to display to know him is to love each other, to love our neighbors as ourselves and to love our enemies. The the greatest thing. Nothing else is more important than that. And I think at times it feels like we live on a planet where there's just a little bit of water, poisoned as it is, and we're all trying to get it and drink it so we can stay alive. But what we really need is God, and what we really need is someone who loves us so much that we don't have to worry about death or or thinning hair or other drivers pulling out in front of us or or whether people are rich or poor or good-looking or whether we feel lonely or broken or whether we got the promotion or or whether we got the accolades from the person that we wanted to. And we need to be told who we are by the only being who has the authority to know, the creator. And in this confidence, I believe that the command of James 4 to stop slandering and judging becomes possible, but only in that confidence. Jesus came to earth and he looked at that lifeboat and he said, this is a myth. He said, this is worthless. Stop living like this. Paul said in Galatians 3.8, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Pagans, cultists, money mongers, broken, diseased, all felt comfortable in Jesus' presence. Jesus is always surrounded by the poor and the marginalized. Why? Because he was nice? Yeah, he was nice. But you know why? Because he turned the value system upside down. He said, this isn't how it is anymore. He said, you're valuable. I'm disrupting the system. You don't need to get false redemption from anybody anymore because I'm the one that brings you love. I'm the one that brings you value. And for those that were already feeling redeemed by their peers, the politicians and the wealthy and the powerful people and the prideful people, they must have looked at Jesus' redemption and felt like it was a step down because everyone all of a sudden was at the same level. To them, Jesus didn't offer very much. But to those who had nothing, Jesus offered everything. He says it's all different now. Okay, so how do you picture Jesus? Kind of get a picture in, ooh, get a picture in your head about how you picture Jesus. You got it? Okay, some of you may picture him like this. This is like king, like he's your king. Maybe the kind of softer, gentler Jesus. Maybe he's your peace. Sometimes that's how I picture Jesus. We're, we're hanging out. Let me read to you in Isaiah 52. This is what Jesus is described like. There's lots of things in the scripture that talks about Jesus, but this is in Isaiah 53. This is what he's described as. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in a low esteem. It was as though Christ looked to the part of the message that he wanted to communicate. Brilliant. It was as though Christ looked to the part of the message that he wanted to communicate. Jesus didn't have to be handsome to have value. He didn't have to be the position of king or wealthy or famous to have value. People didn't believe he was God because they didn't expect him to look like that. They didn't believe he was God because they didn't expect him to come to earth with such humble beginnings. 
They wanted Jesus to be rich and good-looking and respectable so that their religious system would make them look good. And they wanted someone who would redeem them to their jury of peers, not, not to a God who came down and cared about the poor and the sick. And the people were angry that he wasn't riding on a white horse with a huge sword. But Jesus was making a point. And he was making a point by being plain. He was saying, I give you value. It must have been wonderful to spend time with Jesus. Somebody who liked you, who loved you, who believed in you. You know, those who knew Christ personally, we see in the scripture, they went on to do amazing things. It fueled a lifetime of joy and health for them. These guys spent time with Jesus. They were faithful to the end. They, they, they had jeering insults, prison, torture. They were excluded. They were rejected. Yet many of them penned the exact same words that James talked about that we read today in chapter 4. Who are you to judge your neighbor? They could write these words, I believe, because they found their full value in God loving them. In fact, there was no room for pride and insecurity because this created a no-judgment zone because they found their full value in who God thought that they were. John wrote a gospel, and he called himself the one Jesus loved. And with these words, he displayed his worth of humanity. He, he had all kinds of things that, that he, I'm sure, felt like he didn't live up to. But he described himself as, I'm the one that Jesus loved. And in that, I think we just see that John escaped the trap of the lifeboat. He says, I'm loved. I don't have to fight for my position anymore. I don't have to get critical about anyone or insecure or prideful because I'm loved. And so can we. I want to introduce you to um, my sweet friend Allison. She's going to come up here. She has been an Edinburgh student uh, for the last three years and a really important part of Chi Alpha. And uh, together, her and I, you can get ready. Um, her and I have um, wrestled through this kind of journey of escaping the lifeboat. And, and there are times that we do pretty good and other days that, you know, we show some extra support with each other. But as a closing today, I just wanted her to share a song that she wrote herself. A song that comes right from her heart that expresses what it feels like to get her full value from God, from God loving us. And I want you to just listen and, and receive uh, the Holy Spirit through this, and then I'll pray for us. You bring calmness and stillness in the chaos. You bring peace and joy when I'm afraid. You bring peace and joy when I'm afraid. You open my eyes and I realize it's you, it's you. It's you, it's you, Jesus. You're all that I want, you're all I need. And I'm desperate for you. You pour out your mercy when I am 
in need You pour out your mercy when I am in need You speak into me and I am made new You speak into me and I am made new You open my eyes and I realize it's you, it's you it's you, it's you Jesus you're all that I want, you're all I need and I'm desperate for you it's you, it's you it's you, it's you, Jesus. You're all that I want, you're all I need. And I'm desperate for you. I am desperate. I am desperate for you, God. I am desperate for you. It's you, it's you. It's you, it's you, Jesus. You're all that I want, you're all I need. And I'm desperate for you. It's you, it's you. It's you, it's you, Jesus. You're all that I want, you're all I need. And I'm desperate, I'm desperate. It's you, it's you. It's you, it's you, Jesus. You're all that I want, you're all I need. And I'm desperate for you. Will you stand up? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you that you're changing us and you're, you're moving among us. And thank you, Lord, that you're beginning to show us just how much you value us and that your love gives us all the value that we need. Father, I pray right now that in our prideful spots and in our insecure spots, Father God, that you would remind us how much you love us. And God, we could repent of those moments and trust you. And Lord, as those fill up, that our judgments will be gone. Jesus, I pray that we could be people that don't judge each other, Father, but just continually show each other the great, deep love that you have for us. God, I pray we won't feel like we have to compete for a position or have moments of trying to prove our own value or worth to each other, or even to ourselves. God, heal us of this broken part of humanity. Lord, we trust you and we love you, and we thank you for today. Amen. Have a great afternoon.